Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Moth is true stories told live without notes, and you hear the Moth Radio Hour each week on Utah Public Radio. Well, the Moth main stage, that's the live stage show upon which the radio program is based, is coming to Logan. Uh, you can experience the Moth on stage uh, at the Ellen Echoes Theater in downtown Logan on uh, Thursday. Tickets still available uh, for that, and uh, that's at cashearts.org. Ahead of that event, one of the Moth Mainstage hosts, John Good, is joining us today. Uh, John Good is an Emmy-nominated author, poet, playwright, currently residing in Atlanta. He's uh, been a featured performer on HBO's Deaf Poetry, TV One's Verses and Flow, and BET's Lyric Cafe. And uh, his debut collection of poems and short stories called Conduit has received to date 54 five-star reviews, spent 16 weeks as number one title on Amazon, and is the best-reviewed book of poetry on Amazon for uh, that year that it was released. He's released his first novel, Midas, that also debuted at number one on Amazon. He's a regular host of the Moth Story Slam in Atlanta. And uh, John Good uh, joins us from Atlanta. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tom. I listen. That's I loved your intro. It makes me sound like I've really done some things in the world. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, it's, it's good to at least <laughs> appear to have done some things in the world, which, of course, you really have. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to, uh, be, before we get into the moth and uh, ins and outs of that, um, of course, you're involved with the moth uh, story slam in Atlanta and, uh, and other things related to the moth. I'd like to get uh, some of your background. Uh, tell us a bit about you. Where did you where did you grow up? And... Uh, and uh, give us a little background, then how did you got, get into writing and, I guess, storytelling? Yeah, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, uh, south side of that city, and uh, went to James Madison University, uh, and I, I took uh, a poetry class, which I did not enjoy and thought that I would do nothing dealing with writing. I got a degree in economics and finance and thought I was on my way to being some kind of money guy. But then, you know, you know, you make plans and life makes plans. So I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and I was working as an accountant and a good friend of mine, Veronica, she asked me if I'd like to go to a poetry reading. And I told her that there is nothing I would like to do less than go to a poetry reading. So when she said, if by chance I could catch up to you by the end of the day, will you go? I said, yes, she did catch up to me. We went and it was one of the most transformative nights of my life, watching these poets, uh, spoken word poets on stage, you know, with the same alphabets and words that I have doing something that at that point I was like, I'm not even sure I could ever make words and let us do what it is that they are making them do. Uh, so that began this love with poetry and my, my the beginnings of me becoming a professional performance poet. And... That was, you know, a blessing. I got to do HBO and CNN and a few projects working with people that saw the poetry and uh, liked what I did as a writer. Uh, and then one day, uh, this wonderful producer out of Atlanta, Meredith Williams, she said, I'd like you to come and audition to be the host of uh, The Moth, Story Slam. It's coming to Atlanta. And at the time, I was like, I don't know what The Moth Story Slam is, but do they pay? She said, they do. I said, then I will be there to see if I could be the host. So I showed up to host uh, that night to see if I could get in. I got to the door and the guy at the door, he said, you're not on the list. I said, am I, is there a list for the producer? He said, yes. I said, oh, I'm going to be on that list. He says, you're not on that list. And so he told me I couldn't get in. So I, I had to go home. But then Meredith was kind of up to call and say, no, come back. I'll make sure you get in the next time. And um, I did, and I told a story about my dad, and I won the Moth Story Slam that night. And from that night uh, forward, I was born in as the local host of uh, the Moth Story Slam Atlanta. And then a wonderful lady named Jennifer Hickson said, hey, why don't you come out on the road with us and, and you know try to host some of these around the country? And, man, it's been a glorious blessing ever since. been some amazing places, London, Hawaii, and now I get to come out. Hang out at the Ellen Eccles Theater in fantastic and wonderful Logan, Utah, on Thursday night. It's going to be it's going to be wonderful. Well, it'll be wonderful, uh, wonderful to to see you on stage and the and the performers. Um, I'd like to go before we loop back to the moth. I'd like to go back to that first night you discovered, went reluctantly and mm-hmm. discovered spoken word poetry. What yeah. uh, expand on that? What what so captivated you? So. so 
when I thought of poetry, you know, I think I thought of, you know, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? The art more love, the art as lovely and more temperate. You know, I thought of things like this, things that didn't, you know, they were beautiful, but didn't like really grab me, grab me. And then, of course, I'd, I'd heard the poetry of the Harlem Renaissance, you know, the Negro Speaks of Rivers, you know, James Baldwin, uh, Langston Hughes, uh, Zora Neale Hurston, and thought all of that was also delightful. But what these people were doing, it was contemporary. It was speaking to the times. It was speaking to, like, my life in the moment. And with just their naked voice on a stage and with just a microphone, they, they were able to make you laugh, make you cry, make you think, make you question like they were able to pull so many emotions out of me and the whole room. And I thought that this, I was like, this is incredible uh, because so many art forms have like, like a comedian, if a comedian isn't making you laugh, then he's failing. And like a, if a preacher is not kind of, you know, like rallying you up, then he's not doing what people think of, uh, you know, think of what preachers do. But with spoken word poetry, no matter what happened on that stage, you know, whether I was, you know, whether they're making you laugh or making you cry or making you sit in quiet contemplation, it is all allowed in, in any way that you're doing it, it is being successful. You know, you, you don't have to conform to any one emotion. You could do it all. And I just thought that was compelling. And I, I thought to myself, if, if I go home and try really hard, there is a chance that maybe I could, you know, glean some some, some, you know, ounce of what these people are doing. So uh, I went home, I got a notepad, and I, I started writing uh, a bunch of poems, several of them. I was, like, I was like, I don't know what I'm saying, and I don't know where this is going. And then finally, I hit upon one that I was like, oh, okay, I think this is, this is saying something, this is going somewhere. And, um, yeah, I think maybe three, four weeks later, I was on stage at the, this place called the Yin Yang Cafe in Atlanta, Georgia, trying my hand at this this you know, age old craft. What was that first, uh, I don't know what to call it, attempt with performance? What was that like? Was it nerve wracking? Did you didn't know whether you'd be a hit, I guess. It, it, it was nerve wracking. Like, uh, when I first went to the yin yang, uh, I signed the list. They, they only allowed 20 people to perform. So I think I signed in the 18th slot, you know, like later in the night, I'm nervous. I figure I'll just wait a while. And so they got to the 20th person, and they were like, you know what, thank y'all, and good night. And now I went up to the host, like, hey, I signed a list, but I didn't get to go. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, come back next week. We'll see what we, what we can do. So I came back the next week, and I think I may have signed at the 10th slot. Same thing, end of, end of the night. Thank y'all so much for coming, get home safe. I go back to the, to the host. I'm like, hey, I've been here two weeks in a row, and I signed a list, and I didn't get to go. He's like, no, come back the next week. We'll see what we can do. So I think I signed, like, third and I may have gone like 15th and the poem went over. It went over well. So the first poem, I got a standing ovation for this poem, which was wonderful and unexpected. And then the second poem I ended up doing, I fumbled it so badly that, that the host said to me, he said, we have never kicked anyone off this stage, but you came as close as anyone has ever come to being pulled off the stage. So I had a very high moment and a very low moment, you know, kind of back to back. And that was very good because it kept, it kept me humble and, you know, kept me focused. Like, you have to be prepared. You have to walk out, like, out on stage ready to do it. You can't just kind of go up there trying to figure, in, you know, trying to figure it out, at least not at that stage for me. So it, uh, it really helped me with my, with my work ethic and my humility very early on. <laughs> so the producer, uh, uh, obviously, uh, he knew it was bomb. You probably know it was bombing. How, how do you know from the audience? Uh, are, they, are they just silent or uh, <laughs> do you get yes. booze or what do you, what do you get? Well, fortunately, at the open mic, poetry open mic, they don't really boo you, right? So what they do is they usually give you, the, they'll snap their fingers. They give you some like, mm, you know, they give you some energy. And then, you know, when you're doing your thing and you know that this is not a contemplative piece, you know, you've written this piece to, you know, either, you know, make people laugh, to, to pull their emotions one way or the other, which is what this piece was supposed to do. But it did none of that. Yeah, they just kind of looked at me and like blinked their eyes 
<laughs> you know, so I was like, it was like performing alone in my room, but it, I'm also in front of like a, a couple of hundred people. So it, it wasn't the best feeling in the world. And then when you come off the stage, you know, when you've done well, you come off the stage and people shake your hand and they're like, oh man, that was amazing. That was something. And then when you don't do well, when you come off the stage, people kind of, they kind of avert your, they, they, they avert their eyes. You know, it's like, it's like you've done something unspeakable. So they don't say anything. They don't say anything bad. They just they don't say anything good. And then they kind of will not look at you. So I was like, oh yeah, I didn't. That didn't go. That didn't go well at all. That didn't go well at all. So it takes a I don't know a certain kind of courage, certain kind of personality. Put yourself out there and and do it continually. It does. It's you know when I host um, open mics or you know especially at the mall anything, I tell the audience all the time. I'm like to come up here on this stage and to share. Um, you know, these personal and intimate stories or poems. Um, it's no it's no small thing. It's no easy thing to do. And that in and of itself is worth your time, your attention, and in some ways, you know, your applause. Now, I'm not saying that you, you know, I'm not telling you you've got to like it, but I'm just saying the act itself uh, comes with, you know, some effort, some bravery. Um, I did a night with the moth in Athens, Georgia. I mean, in, in Rome, Georgia. Athens, Rome, in Rome, Georgia, and this young lady got up, and I mean, she was shaking like a leaf. She was shaking. She was so nervous, but she wanted to tell the story so badly, and it was a, a story about her boyfriend who was in the audience, and before she came, you know, before she did her thing, I could see she was shaking, so I just, you know, I grabbed her hands and told her, I said, hey, I'm with you. This whole room is with you. We... All we want is the best for you. So don't think that anyone is here, you know, that doesn't, you know, want the best for you. Just tell us your story and I tell you we're going to love it. And she stood there. She shook like a leaf the whole time and told this story through her trembling voice. But as is often said, you know, speak your truth, you know, even if your voice trembles. And she did that that night. When she got to the end, she was so happy to have done it that she just broke into tears just at the joy of having to, been able to stand there on the stage and tell the story. And, uh, yeah, that's what it, to me, that's what it's about. It's, 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 it's an act of bravery. And, um, yeah, I love when people come out to witness it. And I always applaud the people who have the heart to do it. So this, this young lady is an example, I, I suppose. I guess my question is, what's the impulse? Uh, you, you want your story heard, I guess. That, that, that was her case. Yeah, I think people have different impulses. For her, you know, she wanted her story, her story heard. For some people, I think that they have maybe a message that they feel is important and urgent in the time. Um, for some people, it could it could it could absolutely just be, you know, they they want to stand in the limelight. They want to stand, you know, on the big stage, you know, with all the attention and all the lights on them. I think different impulses drive different people um, to the stage. But ultimately, what what comes from it is a sense of community, a sense of sharing, and hopefully, uh, by the time someone comes off the stage, we found some commonality, some common ground, some place where we can all stand and understand each other. I'll loop back to your poetry and uh, your other writings, but uh, let's talk about the moth a little bit here. Um, so, uh, before we get into some of the details, uh, you said your first time at that uh, the Moth Story Slam in Atlanta there, uh, you told a story about your father? Correct, yes, about about my dad's funeral. I told a story about uh, my dad's funeral, which is a surprisingly funny story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's, there's this... Uh, like some differences, I imagine, between, you know, a poetry slam and a, the Moth Slam. Uh, you know, poetry can... You know, it could be a true life story or or not. It could be fictional. Uh, the the moth is true stories told live, right? Uh, so Correct. Was there a transition there? And but but it's a similar principles of storytelling, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's similar. It's similar uh, principles of storytelling, uh, especially uh, the way all of my poems are all narratives. Um, all narratives, a great deal of them are true stories from my life, it's the way the poems are written. And so the stories are much the same way, but where for the poems, there's like a, um, like for, for the way I write them, there's kind of like a cadence to them, a rhythm to them, the way they move. And with stories, I think you pull people in because it's just conversational language. It's just 
you know, the same thing that your 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 mom or your dad or your grandma or your uncles used to do when they just, you know, you're sitting around and they tell you a story. So there's a there's a warmth to that. Um and I feel like if you ask a person to write you a like say, recite me a poem, they might be like, I'm not a poet, I don't do poems. But almost everyone feels like they, they can tell you a story, even if they don't feel like a professional storyteller. People feel like, how oh, I can tell you a story, unless you're in New Orleans. In New Orleans, everyone feels like a professional storyteller. <laughs> if you go to New Orleans, everyone feels like, I can tell a story better than you can tell a story. <laughs> but for most other people, everyone feels like, oh, yes, you know, even if I'm not a professional storyteller, I can tell you a story. And I think that's one of the things about the mall is uh, it really hits on that, on this idea of, you know, the every man, like every person has a story to tell. And this is a space where everyone can come tell their story. So uh, so how's that done then? Uh, a person, I, I think people audition, don't they? They send in videos. Hey, here's my story. I'd like to be on the main stage. Yeah, the main stage, of course, is, is a bit more, um, there's a more like vetting that goes on. Sometimes people will, well, the moth has a pitch line, so you can, you know, people might call the pitch line and pitch a story, and then if someone listens to it, and a producer might call you back, like, oh, wow, that's such an interesting story. Let's work on, you know, developing it into a story that can, you know, you know stand on its own on the main stage. Sometimes you may come to a story slam and tell a story, and a producer might hear that story and say, oh, wow, that five-minute story that that person told was incredible. And you know, you know, in hearing it, I'm like, oh, there's more to it. And then the producer might call that person and work with them to make it into like a 10, 12-minute story. Um, so there's, there, there are a lot of different ways that people um, find themselves on the main stage. Uh, but as far as the, the, the local story slams go, um, that's just, you know, to me, that's the, that's the place where, that's for any and everyone. That's, you know, you just show up, anybody, there's no vetting of anything. You throw your name in a hat, and if your name comes out the hat, come up on stage and give us, you know, five, six minutes of your life. We'd love it. Uh, so uh, the event in Logan on Thursday, uh, uh, is that typical? Would you have people who travel with you, storytellers, uh, mixed with local folks, or would, how's that happen? Um, so the, the, the program in Logan, or really in most cities, what typically what you'll have is you have a group of storytellers that are going to come from everywhere. And it's not like a set group. It's, uh, you know, every producer might be like, oh, you know, this is the theme of the night. And here are some storytellers from here's a, there's a storytelling in, in Atlanta that has a great story that will go with that. And there's one in Boston that has one, and here's one from L.A. So they'll bring in these storytellers. And then they, are, they usually typically find one or two local storytellers also that have something that, that, that'll fit the theme. And so it's usually a mixture of like storytellers from a little bit of everywhere and then storytellers from um, the air, the city or the area that we find ourselves in. Well, very good. Let's uh, let's go to a break, uh, and uh, let me give you some details. Uh, we are talking on the program today with John Good. He'll be the host uh, on stage, the main stage event for The Moth, and uh, that's happening on Thursday, just a couple of days from now. Uh, uh, at the Ellen Eccles Theater in uh, Logan. So here's maybe a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you to go see the Moth Main Stage uh, live. Uh, you hear it, of course, uh, twice a week here on Utah Public Radio, the results of the Main Stage on the Moth Radio Hour, but here's the chance to see it live. And uh, so you go to cacharts.org. Cacharts.org is where you go to uh, get tickets. Tickets are still available, and that's Thursday evening at 730 um, and uh, they do have some COVID restrictions. Uh, you must either present a negative COVID uh, test or a proof of full vaccination at the door um, to keep everybody safe. But uh, that's uh, a great chance to go and uh, hear some great uh, true stories told live without notes. John Good will be there. Uh, he will be the host of the evening. Uh, we'll have more with uh, John Good, much more to come following, including we'll hear a story of his uh, trip to West Virginia. Uh, a great, uh, great story. More following this break. Billy Joe Johnson was a son. He started walking when he was nine months old. A friend. You can't compare nobody to Billy. And a star football player. Everybody looks like they're running in slow motion except one guy, Billy Joe. His death is the story of what justice means in America. On the next Reveal. 
Saturday at noon on Utah Public Radio. Please tune in on Sundays at noon for Utah Public Radio's new show, Eating the Past and Other Tasty Morsels. The show will air every Sunday right before the Splendid Table, and in each segment we will explore food and its historical context along with recipes, personal stories, and interviews about our relationship to food today. Your hosts will be Jeannie Sir, Jamie Sanders, and Tammy Proctor, all from the Department of History at Utah State University. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Our guest for the hour today is John Good. Uh, he is an Emmy-nominated author, poet, and playwright. He lives in Atlanta. He's been a featured performer on HBO's Deaf Poetry, TV One's Verses and Flow, BET's Lyric Cafe, and he has a collection of poems and short stories out. It's called Conduit. He also has a novel out. It's called Midas. And uh, he's a regular host of the Moth Story Slam in Atlanta. And he's the host for the main stage event for the Moth, which is uh, happening in Logan Thursday evening at 7.30 at the Ellen Eccles Theater in downtown Logan. Tickets for that event still available. And you can go to cacharts.org to pick up tickets. Cacharts.org. Don't miss this once, uh, maybe once in a lifetime opportunity to see the, the Moth main stage, at least um, where near where you are. Uh, that's happening Thursday evening, 7.30, tickets at cacharts.org. Uh, um, so, John Good, before I uh, jump into uh, some more conversation here, we want to hear uh, one of your stories as well. Uh, tell me more about New Orleans. Have you, have you, you say everybody's a storyteller there. Have you, have you been to a poetry <laughs> slam or moth slam there? And what, <laughs> is it different from, from the rest of the, of the country? <laughs> well, I did, right, right before COVID um, uh, hit, I, w- I was blessed to go out there. Um, uh, Sarah, Sarah Austin Jeunesse, one of the one of the fantastic producers, had me come out and host uh, main stage in New Orleans. Um, it was Nadia Bowles-Weber was there that night, and a, a fantastic local storyteller named Bernell Cotlin. He owns the only supermarket in the Lower Ninth Ward, so we had this great night there. <laughs> but I think it was the intermission. This guy calls me over. <laughs> and you know the night's going great. Like storytellers, the rooms, the rooms loving it. It's going great. So this guy calls me over and he says, uh, he says, "Hey man, look, when we start the second half, um, just call me up and I'll tell a story." I don't know. I've never. I don't know this man. I've never seen this man a day in my life. So he's like, "Just call me up, though. I'll tell a story." And I was like, "Yeah, no, that's not how it works." And he says, "No, nah, look, I, I know these people are doing the best they can, <laughs> but trust me." I've got a story that'll kill. And I was like, oh, New Orleans, man. You gotta <laughs> love New Orleans. So, yeah, that's, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, you've uh, you've hosted in various parts of the country, I think, the, the main stage. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Are, are, yeah. There, are there different kinds of stories, depending on the different region of, of the country? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, when you go, I mean, you know, everything is informed, you know, by the community and by... Um, you know, where, where you find yourself. So, you know, if you're in Boulder, Colorado, you know, you you might hear a story about, like, something that happened while someone was, like, you know, skiing or something like this. Uh, Monty Montepar, who lived in Alaska, tells this incredible story about a confrontation with a bear, you know, in the, in the woods. You know, this is not a story you would probably hear in New Orleans. Uh, in New Orleans, you heard a story, Bernal Cotlin told a story about, yeah, opened the, the only grocery store in the lower ninth ward of New Orleans um, after uh, Katrina. So stories are absolutely informed by the community, by the events. Um, and I like, like I always, like, like how I totally feel about storytelling is, is that when you go and you hear these stories uh, about circumstances that may not be your own and that maybe you would have never imagined, it can't help but make you uh, feel like more of a community, make you feel closer um, some in some ways, like you may have your own struggles in Logan, and then you may hear the struggles of someone from New Orleans, but there may be commonality in the struggle that you would have never imagined, or commonality in the joy, or you know, commonality, you know, in in the search for uh, happiness or whatever you may be looking for. So the stories absolutely um, help people to understand that we are far more in common than we have differences. 
although I think the world sometimes tries to make us focus on our differences. Uh, but we, we're much more alike uh, than we, I think, sometimes know or, or imagine, and the malt helps us to know that. Well, I've uh, prepped a, a, a piece, and I found this at themoth.org. Um, here is one of the stories that, uh, that uh, you told. Uh, so we're talking with John Good. Uh, he is an Emmy-nominated author, poet, and playwright, uh, storyteller. Um, and he's going to be the host of the main stage event, the Moth main stage event, which is happening in Logan, uh, Thursday evening, 7.30, tickets at cashearts.org. Uh, so let, let's just jump in and hear this. This is called, this is John Good, and his story called, Hey Buddy. So do you mind if I tell you a quick story uh, from my life? So in this life of mine, I am hired mainly a lot to go out on the road and perform poetry at colleges, right? Seems like a crazy thing for someone to hire you to do. But they do. They hire me to do it. And so I was hired by this school in West Virginia. Anybody here from West Virginia? Fantastic. This is going to work out. Just you, sir. Don't listen. All right. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's going to work out. Trust me. So I was hired by the school in West Virginia, and if you're unfamiliar with West Virginia, I will just let you know that West Virginia is not entirely known uh, for its people of color. It's not what they lead with. They're not like, you know, West Virginia, also West Wakanda. It's not how they do it. It's not how they do it. And uh, spoiler alert, I'm a black guy. So, I know, shocking, right? Shocking. So, they wanted me to come out to West Virginia and do this show at this college. They sent the check. I cashed the check. I figured I should show up. So I jump in my car and I'm driving uh, to West Virginia and all is going well. I cross the West Virginia state line and uh, softly in the back of my mind, the tune of dueling banjos begins to play. (laughs) I ignore it, keep on driving. And about 10, 15 miles later, my my engine in the car starts to lay down the most wonderful hip hop beat. It's like, uh, 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 which is wonderful if it's a Drake song, but not good if it's your car. So I pulled over to the side, and by pulled over to the side, I mean I careened over to the side because I lost power. And then I did what you're supposed to do as a man. I popped the hood. I popped the hood because as a man, you're supposed to pop the hood. Now, I don't know anything that's going on under the hood of a car. As far as I know, there are hamsters on wheels making this thing go. I don't know. But they say you're supposed to pop the hood. I popped it. So I walked around. I lifted the hood. And I'm not a mechanical genius of any sort, but the spark plug wire was on fire. And I said, that's the problem right there. There it is. So I got a fire extinguisher. I put it out. I looked up. The sun was getting low in the sky. Dueling banjos was getting louder. Right around then, a truck driver was pulling by. He pulled by and pulled over. He hopped out. Classic truck driver. Trucker hat, flannel shirt, some jeans, some boots. He came over. He said, hey, buddy. And I said, hey, buddy. He said, what seems to be the problem? I said, car broke down. He says, you mind if I look under the hood? I said, I think you have to. I think these are the rules. So he looked under the hood. He saw that smoldering spark plug wire, and he said, that's your problem right there. And I said, look at the both of us, mechanical geniuses. He said, where you headed to, buddy? So I told him the school I was going to. He says, I know that school. I'm driving right past that school. If you'd like to, I could give you a ride. Now, I'm not sure if you are uh, familiar with a genre of film known as horror. (laughs) But so many horror movies start with benevolent trucker offers stranded stranger ride up the road. (laughs) But the sun was getting lower, dueling banjos was getting louder, and I said, I'm about to take my chances. So I hopped in the truck. And we headed up the road, and all is good for like 20, 30, 40 miles. Then he looks over, and he says, hey, buddy. And I said, hey, buddy. He said, I don't mean to sound racist or nothing. And as you know, if someone starts with, I don't mean to sound racist or nothing, the next thing you're going to hear is the most racist thing you've ever heard. It's like when someone says, I'm not calling you stupid. They are. They're calling you stupid. So he said, hey, buddy. I don't mean to sound racist or nothing, but I was watching this documentary on CNN called Black in America, and there was this black guy on there hosted, and I swear you look just like that black guy. (laughs) And let me tell you two things I know to be true. Number one is, all black people do not look alike. (laughs) 
But the second thing I know to be true is, as it was so happened, I am the guy that hosted that thing on CNN. So I said, I am the guy that hosted that thing on CNN. He said, what, get out. I said, I will not get out, but I am the guy that hosted that thing. He said, my wife's not gonna believe this. So we rode up the road, we laughed, we had a good time, we got to the school, we jumped out, we took selfies and stuff. I'm sure he texted his wife like, you won't believe who was in my truck. The black guy from CNN. <laughs> I'm sure she's texting back like, that's not Don Lemon. <laughs> but as he left, I had to think about, as a person who's often stereotyped, faced with so many biases in the world, I had to think about some of my own biases, some of the things that I've held on to maybe a bit too long and start deciding uh, some of the things that it was time to, to let go. So that's a piece of uh, John Goods uh, performing there called Hey Buddy. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. And illustrating, you know, community, right? The lesson, the lesson you state at the end of that is, you know, connections, right? Yeah, it's connections and, you know, preconceived notions that some of us have about people and, um, you know, how you are sometimes forced to confront all of that. And if you're open to the moment, you know, there's a, there's a lesson, there's a time to, to grow that can come from, from all of those encounters. So I want to maybe have you take us behind the scenes a little bit. Of course, you know, it's, you, true stories told live. Uh, so this happened to you, but I'm sure there's some shaping and, and uh, you know, you can't include everything in, in a particular story. What, uh, how do you make those decisions? Yeah, like for, for me at least, um, uh, I, I, I try to boil a thing down kind of to its essence, you know, like uh, you, you, there's a bunch of other stuff I could add in there. And I'm sure if I wanted to shape that into a longer, let's say 10 minute story, cause that story is probably five minutes, I guess, maybe yeah. five mm-hmm. and a half something yeah. like this. So if I wanted to make it a longer story, I, I certainly could, but uh, a lot of what I do is like whittle things down and like, all right, let me just give you some of the key elements of what happened here. And as I'm thinking about it in my own mind, I think about like, oh, well, this this thing here, this is kind of funny and this is kind of tragic. And in the way that I tell it with inflection of my voice or, um, you know, I may add on to it a little bit like uh, um, I think uh, what do I, I think I kept using the, the device of, of dueling banjos at some point in that piece like across the West Virginia state line, I can hear dueling banjos. And then, you know, about how this is getting louder and louder, which is a, um, you know, a call to like this idea of like, you know, like when you hear, there's a, for some people there's a threat. When you hear dueling banjos, there's a, an, an, uh, an implicit threat there. So as it gets louder, it kind of hints at the implicit threat of what you could feel as a black person broken down on the side of the road in what you stereotypically think of uh, you know, uh, an area, a super rural area like that to be. So some of it is like, uh, you know, working with some of that to build like the tension. Uh, then for me, at least, and a lot of what I write, um, when I look at experiences I have, usually I can pull a lesson out at the end. Like usually there's something I walk away with and a lot of the stories I tell. Because when I think about them, I'm like, oh yeah, like this is what I walked away with. And sometimes you don't walk away with it right then. Sometimes you're thinking about it later and you're like, you know, like, oh, wow, like I, I really, um, you know, I, I think it happens to me, which is to be stereotyped. Wow, I did that to someone else. And much how I'm usually not what someone may think uh, think me to be uh, through the perceptions of their mind, this, this person was not that either, you know, for me. And so there's a lesson there to be had about uh, just, you know, on its face making assumptions about people. So, you know, that's kind of how I begin to craft stories. I'm sure everyone has their own approach. Um, uh, I know I spoke to one storyteller who, I think he starts at the end of a story, you know, like a story, like he'll remember some incident, like remember how it ended. And then in his mind, he'll work back to like, oh, well, how did this even start? So he'll work from the end, you know, back to what would be be the beginning of the story. And um, so, yeah, I think everyone has their, like, like their own different ways like you know there's a there's probably a million ways to 
you know, to, to, to make the sausage. There's a million ways that the sausage gets made to tell a story. But that's kind of how I approach it when it when it comes to me sometimes. It'll it'll show up in my head like a good story will show up from my life and I'll be like, Oh wow, remember that? And then, you know, begin the task of like shaping it into something that can live on the stage. Actually in Logan, I'm going to I'm going to try I'm gonna try something brand new. We're gonna we're gonna give it a shot, Tom. Something all right. Brand new. Can you can you I don't know. You want you want to tease it, uh, or or just uh, have us go and be surprised. <laughs> come, come be surprised. I'm going to be surprised too. I think a little bit. I'm, I'm I'm sitting here today working my way through it a bit, like you know, getting it together because the the story you just played is the story that I used to tell as a host to begin a show. Because as the host of the storytelling event, I tell a story at the very beginning and a story somewhere in the middle. So I used to start most nights with that story. But since that story aired on the radio, we've retired it. So I'm working out a new story. Yeah, that's uh, that's appeared on the Moth podcast, uh, right uh, at this point. So, uh, so you're 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 gonna you're gonna run a, a new story. That's great. We'll look forward to that. Um, Me too. Just a reminder, <laughs> we're talking with John Good. Uh, he is a Moth main stage host. In fact, he's hosting the Moth main stage event, which is happening uh, this Thursday in Logan. So here's your opportunity to, uh, to to see the storytelling on the stage, hear it, experience it on stage, including some local folks that you'll probably recognize. Uh, they'll be mixed in there as well. Uh, that is at the Ellen Echoes Theater in downtown Logan. And it is Thursday evening, 7.30, tickets at cacharts.org, cacharts.org. Well, it's about time for another break. Uh, this would be a good time to do that. Let's take another break. We'll be back with final segment with uh, John Good following this. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll explore the global musical journey of one of America's greatest songwriters, Paul Simon. Well, I heard those Andean flutes several years earlier than that, before Simon and Garfunkel was a big hit. I'm Rosalie Howard. And I'm Dan Storper. Join us for Paul Simon's global musical journey, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Thursday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. West's relationship with water is complicated, and it's only getting more complex. Last year was considerably dry, maybe the driest we'd seen, and now we're looking at even drier. I think it's been described as a slow-moving train wreck. I'm Alex Hager, reporting on the water issues that define the western U.S. Listen for stories about the Colorado River Basin on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and uh, we have uh, with us for, for the hour, our guest is John Good. He is a uh, Moth mainstage host. He's a uh, regular host of the Moth Story Slam in Atlanta. That's where he lives. Uh, he's an Emmy-nominated author, poet, and playwright. Uh, lives in Atlanta. He's been a featured performer on HBO's Deaf Poetry, TV One's Verses and Flow, and BT's Lyric Cafe. He has a collection of poems and short stories out. It's called Conduit, and he has released a, a novel called Midas as well. And John Good will be the uh, the main stage host at the event, which is happening in Logan. Here's a, a great opportunity for you to actually go and experience the Moth main stage. And that is in Logan, Ellen Echoes Theater in downtown Logan, uh, this Thursday evening, 7.30. And you can get tickets at cacharts.org, um, cacharts.org. Tickets still available. Um, so, John Good, it occurs to me this is, this must be, in a lot of ways, a very satisfying life. Uh, in You know, in part because storytelling is just so hardwired in us. We tell stories in families, right? We tell stories around the campfire. You could tell stories and uh, help people tell their stories, you know, for a living, at least in part. Yes, absolutely. No, it's very satisfying. Uh, do you have uh, Do you have any uh, you know moth stories that that really stick with you? That uh, I don't know. Either you probably you were hosting main stage, or you heard on the radio, or whatever. Did anything that really sticks with you? Uh, so I mean, so many. Um... I mean, there's Ruby Cooper does this amazing story about her son, Monty Montepar, with the, the story about the bear, uh, Alistair Bain, uh, this is incredible story about 
uh, he's a Native uh, Native American uh, gentleman that does the story about being invited uh, to this church and and asked to sing a song. Um, uh, locally, of course, we got this amazing guy named Cola Rum. He's a, he's an amazing storyteller. He's won the local story slam in Atlanta several times. He's he's incredible. Uh, Renita Walls, another incredible storyteller. I mean, it's when you when you sit here and you hear the stories and you hear just the breadth of the stories and uh, you know people's experiences. Some experiences that sometimes you're like, oh wow, like I've had something similar or something like that's a million miles away from anything. I've ever experienced. Um, a lot of them stick with you. A guy named Jazz Hands. He's a great uh, storyteller in, in Atlanta. Uh, but yeah, there's so many stories. And the great thing is, like any story, great story that you may have heard, after you hear it, uh, you may find yourself like telling someone else, like, and then, there's a, and then he, there was a guy on the stage, and then he said this, and then this happened. And you're trying to sometimes like recount it to someone. And, you know, you can never tell it back to someone as, as wonderfully as you heard it. Uh, but some of the stories are so amazing. You're just like, you can't help but try to try to get the essence of it to someone, you know, so they can, you know, feel it in some way. Also, someone who wasn't in the room. Uh, that's why I encourage in Atlanta. I tell the people all the time, I'm like, listen, you want to be in the room where it happens. Shout out to Hamilton. You want to be in the room where it happens uh, because no one else is going to be able to do it justice. Like, especially like local story slams, like sometimes like the, the recording you have with me from main stages and events like this, make it onto uh, the Moth website. But the local story slam uh, stories, there's no way to really get those, but to be in the room when they're told. So I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, it's it's been nights where at the end of the Atlanta story slam, after, you know, I've said the goodbyes and good nights, the crowd will just sit there and stay. And they'll just start, you know, they'll just talk amongst each other because no one wants to go home because there's just so much warmth and community in the room. And a few nights, people will break into these little groups and start, it's like they're just, someone is telling a story to someone in the room. Someone's telling like someone a story. And then next thing you know, there are like 15 people gathered around them. And this is after the night is over with. They're still telling stories. It's it's really something. It's, it's, it's magical and amazing. It's really something. Well, I hope people come out, uh, take advantage of this opportunity in, in Logan on Thursday. And you can see John Good there on the stage as well. He, he'll be the host. Um, uh, one that really sticks with me in this, I heard on the radio, um, he's an undertaker in New York. It's called Chris Toomline. Um, <laughs> he just, uh, and I won't, I won't try to tell the story in any way, shape, or form, because I'll just watch <laughs> it. But he, uh, he's a young undertaker trying to make his way up through the, the business, the, the funeral you know, director business. And he encounters a very problematic client. It's called the wrong side of the grass. Uh, check that out. Uh, uh, just I, I think really takes you there. He has the New York accent, kind of the New York attitude, and an unusual <laughs> profession that you don't you don't hear stories about as as much. So that that's that's the one I recommend people uh, go and check out. Well, I want to make a transition, uh, John, good to talk about some of your uh, work that's not uh, dealing with with the moth. Um, uh, let me. We just pulled this up here. This is your collection of uh, poetry and short stories called Conduit. From your preface, yeah. um, let's, let me just read this. This is John Good in his preface. With great frequency, I've discussed with other writers my feelings surrounding the idea that I don't actually write my poems. That's not to say that I plagiarize my poems. Not at all. Uh, in the ways that people think of uh, poems, plays, short stories, or novels as written by an individual. My poems, certainly in those ways, written by me. What I mean to say uh, when I don't write my poems is that my poems always feel like a gift given to me by my forefathers. So tell me about that. Your, your poems come to you? Is that what you're saying? Often they, they'll just show up. There's a poem in the book, um, it's called Mastectomy, and that poem showed up probably almost exactly the way it is in the book. It just showed up all at once. I was at my mother's house sitting at her kitchen table, and the first line came, and I grabbed a piece of paper and a, and a pen, and I just started writing what was coming to me out of my head, and I just wrote it all down. And at the end, when I was finished writing it, and I went back and read it, I, I, it was it's like I was reading it. It's like I was experiencing it for the first time, although I just sit, I just sat there and written it. It was like I'd never seen it before. It was like I, it's like someone else had written it, and I was just reading it for the first time. So in some ways, the way some of the poems show up, it feels like 
for me at least, it feels like I've been blessed to be on the other end of this poem coming from somewhere, and I've been blessed to write it down and and given the the honor and the responsibility of of reciting it and presenting it to the world. And some of the ideas that come feel so um, they feel important in a way that the only thing that can mess them up is if is if I don't you know write down write it if I don't write it down correctly or say it correctly. It's the only thing that can that can throw it off track because. Uh, everything else is there. It's just up to me to be the proper conduit for the idea. Mm. I love that it, you you preface a lot of these poems with uh, a quote. Um, and so this, this prefacing your poem, Barbara, uh, is a Leonard Starkey quote. He says, it took me 100 yeah. years to turn 18. After that, every year felt like a day. That, <laughs> uh, as I was reading yeah. that, I was I was nodding my head. Yes. Yes, yes. Leonard Stark is my uncle. He's my he's, he's is, an uncle of mine. Who, is he really? Uh, oh, uh, yeah. He told me that uh, I was I was I was probably in my twenties when he told me that. And yeah, he, he said it took me took me a hundred years to turn eighteen. But ever since then, every year felt like a day. I was like, wow, it's an interesting <laughs> way to look at it. Yeah, you you maybe didn't believe him at that point, but probably do now. I'm guessing. Yeah, I feel like as I get older, time speeds up in a in a in a way that's curious like the years do i I, re, I remember being a kid and the school year felt like it took four or five years to get to the school year and then the summer went by in a in a couple of days like you know you hit summer and summer just flew by but the school year just dragged on uh but now as i get older it feels like every year feels like a summer vacation like when i was a kid like every year just seems to fly by in a way where you like it right now, you know, you look, I look up and I'm like, it's out, it's October. Like, you know, I'm like, well, it's January five minutes ago. Now it's October. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, let me just read a little bit of synopsis for your novel Midas. And just have you talk briefly about this. Uh, Midas is yeah. a novel about a man that discovers as a boy that when he's cut, he bleeds gold. His journey takes him from a man to legend to myth. And he emerges from the shadows in the year 2271 tell a reporter from Amazon World Solar Times, like that, his personal tale of struggle, love, loss, and riches, um, and his pursuit of things that money can't buy. That's a very interesting premise. Yeah, yeah, that's an idea that showed up. When it showed up, I tried to write it as a poem, and it, it didn't, a poem wouldn't hold it. So then I tried to write it as a short story. And I think about 40 or 50 pages into the short story, I said, oh, well, clearly, this isn't going to be a short story. <laughs> this is going to be something else. And so I just I just kept writing it uh, as it came. And then I was in that same moment, I was blessed to get a writing residency uh, through a thing called Air Serenby, where they gave me a cabin in the woods for a month. So I got to sit in a cabin in the woods for a month and then really flesh it out. So uh, your poems are, I think, mostly written to be performed, right? Is that, that the case? Yeah, they were... Um, I would say 90% of those poems in that book were, 90% of the poems in that book have seen a stage at some point. Yeah. So a novel, that's a, that's a different thing. You're probably not going to perform a novel. Um, I, I would, let me just say, it would be the longest performance <laughs> in anyone's life. I don't know if anyone would sign up for for that. Uh, but yeah, it was it's something, it's a different, uh, having that, that being my first and having never done it uh, before, it was a different kind of marathon. Like it's a, it's a thing where you realize, oh, this isn't a, this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon here, friends. Mm-hmm. So you know, let's put on our running shoes and let's do it. Now, included with uh, the novel Midas, there are a couple of short stories. Uh, this one, the last, the last uh, piece in Midas, is a, a story called Hansy. That I'll just read the sentence here. Uh, Hansy is a short story about life in a world where COVID thirty one finds people afraid to touch at all. Uh, that's uh, that's a, that's a that's an interesting and somewhat depressing uh, <laughs> premise there to, to imagine the COVID thirty one. It is, it's a, it, and it's an interesting kind of sort of love story, and in in in, in a, a commentary about how much we like kind of need. To, to be in community and, and yearn for it and have a desire for it. Um, and the story turned out to be wildly prophetic in some ways. People's, 
people will send me clips about things that are actually going on that are in the story. And they'll be like, oh, this thing that actually is happening now, you wrote about in this story, like, you know, a year and a half, year and a half two years ago. They're like, you, you, you wrote this in the story, and it actually happened. I'm like, yeah, isn't that something? <laughs> I'm like, science, science fiction has a way of, of doing that. Like, you know, if you watch Star Trek, that Star Trek communicator looks a lot like the flip cell phone. I'm like, yeah. yeah that's, that's very true. That's very true. We just have a, about a minute left. Uh, what are you working on now? I'm working on a new novel um, uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get through as I'm moving through about uh, a gentleman that's going through a divorce and playing chess in the local um, local city parks. And uh, that's like kind of the backdrop to it. So it's, it's coming together. It's coming together. Well, we'll look forward to that. In the meantime, John Good is coming to Logan. He'll be the host for the Moth Main Stage event, which is happening Thursday evening at 730 and uh, John Good, you you're uh, you're gonna premiere a new piece, are you? I am, I am. I'm going. I'm, I'm rolling it out. I believe that. I mean, well, it's got to be a new piece is happening. I know the one that I want to tell. <laughs> Very so good. I'm going to run it past the producers and see how it goes. Very good. We'll look forward to that, and of course, uh, other performers on stage, including some local uh, performers. And uh, that's happening, as I mentioned, on Thursday, 7.30 at the Ellen Eccles Theater in downtown Logan. You can get tickets at casharts.org, casharts.org. Uh, we're all trying to stay safe, and so uh, to get in, uh, you'll have to have uh, proof of uh, vaccination or a uh, current negative COVID-19 test. Uh, so casharts.org, tickets still available, and we hope to see you there uh, in Logan, Ellen Echoes Theater, 7.30 in the evening on Thursday. And John Good will be there as well. John Good is an Emmy-nominated author, poet, and playwright. He has a collection of poems and short stories out. It's called Conduit. His first novel, Midas, is out, and he's uh, working on another novel. He's a regular host of the Moth Story Slam at Atlanta, and he'll be the host on Thursday evening. John Good, uh, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you this hour. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure indeed. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah. This is Katie Swain, and I'm happy to report that thanks to your generous support, we've raised $55,000 from your membership contributions this fall. We're incredibly grateful to the hundreds of you who gave. Your support helps make UPR's important service and local journalism continue. And it also allows for exciting new projects to happen as well. We came into the fall with a goal of growth, and we're thrilled to have achieved that throughout our fall member drive and in the weeks to follow. We're excited for the future because listeners like you help fund the work. Utah Public Radio is streaming music and talk programs in Spanish from Radio Bilingue. Listen 24 hours a day at upr.org. Just click on Listen Live and then press the UPR Tres button. Utah Public Radio está transmitiendo programas de música y charlas en español de Radio Bilingue. Escuche las 24 horas del día en upr.org. Simplemente haga click en Escuchar en Vivo y luego presione el botón UPR Tres. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard and streaming online at upr.org.